Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Side B. We are a ministry of Posture Shift, and we are so glad that you are here to have this conversation with us today. This is a an episode that I've been excited about. Um, I'm getting to talk with uh, Anderson McGee today about ministry as queer people. What is it like in the church, if you are LGBTQ, to be serving the church, um, serving the Lord in that way? We're going to hear a little bit about Anderson and his experience. How are you doing today, Anderson? Good. Glad to be with you. Great. We're glad that you are here. I know that you've been in this ministry journey for many years, so you can share with us some of your experience and wisdom. Um, But to start out, share a little bit about yourself personally, um, how you identify where you are in your journey um, with faith and sexuality, what that what that looks like in a a day to day situation for you. Okay, so. As you said, my name is Anderson McGee. I am currently, uh, I have a dual role. I am the lead pastor of a church called Trinity Family Midtown Church of the Nazarene. Yes, a long name. Um, And a ministry within the Church of the Nazarene called Love Wins LGBT. Okay. So um, what we do is we help equip the Church of the Nazarene to reach out to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and, And that started because I had a calling a calling to um, use my story um, or God had, you know, said, Hey, you like, I want to use your story to reach people like you. And so I identify as bisexual. Um, And so uh, we've been doing this ministry for 12 years as of today. Um, Congratulations. So, and, and it's cool to see how we've, I mean, it's grown, it's expanded. It's, Things are going great right now. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you say we, who else um, are you serving with in this ministry? So I co-lead the ministry and co-pastor the church with my wife, Sarah. Okay. So um, we, and like I said, we've been doing, we, the church has been around since, uh, well, this year was our 10th year. We just celebrated our 10th year. And then uh, Love Wins uh, precedes the church by two years. And so okay. we just celebrated the 12th anniversary of it today. Excellent. Well, that's that's a lot on on your plate as a family and in ministry. So I'm sure you're going to have a lot to share with us. Um, looking at that, you talk about your your story and your life and how God um, has used that as part of your ministry. Uh, what's been your experience of being out um, as queer? You say you identify as bisexual. Uh, and being in ministry, what's what's the good, the bad, and the ugly about being in that situation? Uh, so for the longest time, I was the only out clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Oh, wow. Uh, so for the, only within the past two years, or maybe three years at this point, have there have two others have emerged. So there's only three of us that are out. Um, there are more that are not out, but there are only three of us that are out um, and also doing ministry within, you know, this context. So, I mean, it's an interesting and challenging place to be at times, but it's very rewarding. Um, so I always like to say that, like, my role, although it comes with, you know, some very um, outstanding challenges, my role is to, you know, we're, we're sort of the forerunners here in this ministry. And so 
if we can take the heat where others don't have to, then we're glad to do it and glad to be, you know, glad to be at the forefront and glad to be leading the way. Excellent. But it, but it's definitely not easy. Like it's it's definitely not an easy path. But it, it's a rule. No, not at all. Yeah, I have a friend that um, talks about those of us who are in ministry in LGBTQ circles in conservative denominations, and she talks about us being the icebreaker ships that go before um, in the Navy or in other groups that, that have to break up all the ice so that everybody else can get through. And she's like, it's not an easy job and it's, it's painful on your nose. I was like, yeah, that, that yes, totally makes yes, sense. Yes, uh, totally. Yeah. I to- yes. Yeah. I yeah, love that analogy. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations on being an icebreaker um, <laughs> for however great that may be. Um, so, look at this a little bit of some people feel like thriving inside B um, requires that you be in ministry. If you're going to try to give vocation to your sexuality. Um, What do you think about that? Do you think that being in ministry helps or hurts your ability to live out your sexuality according to your ethics? Does, does it make a difference to you one way or the other? um, How those two things specifically relate to each other? So for me, um, it puts me under the spotlight a whole lot more than just your normal average side B person going to, you know, in a church space. And yeah. so I definitely don't think that the only way to live out this ethic is to be in ministry. I think our role and our call as side B people in the church is to be examples. Yeah. Good examples, you know, of others that are coming behind us. Because for a large majority of us, we had no examples. Right. And so the calling, if anything, is to be an example and be a good one for those coming behind and being willing to, you know, bring those kids under your wing, you know, those teens, those kids under your wing and say, hey, like, you know, our, our others, our age, like, hey, we're here. We're, you know, we're going to be here. We're, we can be the church where the church is not currently being the church. Yes. And we can all be an example together of community and belonging, you know, where where the church has largely not done a great job at that. Yeah. That's, that's been a lot of, of my same story too, that I, I share a lot about how that idea of community, um, has often been the thing that the Lord has most used to remind me of what faithfulness looks like. And a lot of that has to do with how I grew up in a place that there, there was no one for me to watch and to disciple me and to show me how you walk this thing out. But there were a lot of people who made choices and decisions that were completely contradictory to what they had taught me for years and years and years. And a commitment that I had made was I do not want to be one of those people that talks a talk whose walk doesn't match up with it. And sometimes I, I think that, that the Lord puts me and keeps me in ministry um, to ensure that, that accountability of community relationship, but of remembering that even in stewarding our sexuality, it's not just about us as individuals, right? Like it, it is a lot of living out our faithfulness in community. Um, being in ministry definitely makes that more public. Right. If you're, if you are side B and you want to be in ministry, first you need to make sure you're called. 
and you need to understand that all eyes are going to be on you. Even when right. you think they're not on you, they're going to be yeah. on you. That's exactly. one of the that's one of the hard lessons I have learned in this journey is that even when I think no one is listening, many people are listening. Right. Yeah. And and keeping that type of pressure on yourself in a positive way um, can sometimes be a challenge, but it, it definitely is is something to remember and to learn how to manage because um, it is it's a lot. Um, how do you, how do you find that balancing act? Like that's, that kind of leads naturally into this, this next question about finding a way as a public figure, um, to balance true authenticity with sharing and revealing who you are, what you're experiencing, what you go through. Um, how do you balance that with, um, being in the public eye so both constantly and consistently? What, what does that look like for you specifically? So for me specifically, that looks like a life that is lived where, so the person you know in private is the same person you're going to get in public. Right. And I have had to be, I have learned probably the hard way that my life has to be consistent. Yeah. I have to be the same person when eyes are not focused on me as I am when eyes are focused on me. Now, that may, you know, that means you're going to get all of Andy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and so just prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That can sometimes be, you know, difficult for people to take at times, but you're going to get all of Andy all the time. Like that, that you know, that is what you're going to get. It just, there's no way around it. But I show up. And I'm there and, and, you know, my, and as I always say, my life is an open book. And I've found that the more open my life is, yes, that more criticism comes, but it, it's, there's no like secret weight on you, you know? Right. A while back I recorded my story for uh, the ministry and we put it out there and, and it was, it was so, it was so freeing. Like I knew controversy would come and I knew people would talk about it. But it was so freeing to say, hey, this is sort of like the last bit of me that I haven't shared with the world. Here you go. Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing else that people can hold against you when you just lay it all out there, you know? Right. You're not going to like, you know, there, there's nothing hidden in the dark that you're going to go and find and pull out into the light. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. And yeah, if somebody wants to take that as a challenge, be my guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, like, for me, my challenge is, like, what you see is what you get. My grandfather was in ministry. My dad is in ministry. And that's sort of the air that my family has breathed is what you see is what you get with us. You know, whether you like it or not, who we are at home is who we are in public. Um, the balance with that often is finding that how much... How much do you share of this is, especially with struggles, you know, like people have this idea, whether it's right or wrong, of like expectations for their ministers and their pastors of mm. having it all together or expecting us to be able to, to like deal with struggles um, in just a more professional kind of way. 
Um, do you do you find that difficult of like figuring out how much of your struggles and your weakness and kind of the the negative stuff that you may share publicly? How do you balance that act of letting people know you are a real person with a full range of emotional responses and not like do you worry about people's expectations of that or is that something that that you've just kind of learned how to naturally balance throughout your your career so being someone living with adhd (laughs) (laughs) being someone living with adhd i saw my like it's out there i i don't like i don't hide my struggles especially in my local church like my local church is made up of about 80% of people who identify as LGBTQ+. Okay. Oh, wow. And in this group, as we know from the gay community at large, like trying to not be real on any level is a fail. Is You're going to fail in that attempt. Exactly. And everybody's going to know it. Because this community can see right through it. Right? Right. And so I, I have just learned that like I, you know it's best to just say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through. This is, you know, um, and then I have a great group of people around me who watch out for me and go, Hey, maybe you need to take a break, you know, yeah, maybe you take some time away or so. I mean, I know that's different than a lot of people being in like more like professional ministry type environments because, and the beauty about this is, is that we got to create the church culture that exists at Trinity family yeah. because it was like, I, it was a church plant of another church. And so like, you know, we were there from the beginning sort of developing that, like, you know, we're all in, we're real around here. You know, you can share whatever struggles you have. Oh, that's beautiful. So. I love that. Um, I think that's one of the things that people who are in ministry coming out of the LGBT community can really offer um the church that is not necessarily always there i mean that's one of the responses i've gotten over the years as i share my story and i receive pushback from church culture that a lot of the responses tend to be centered around the idea of well we don't talk about that type of thing in x y or z environment you know like that's not proper to talk about in public or like you just, you're not supposed to talk about sex or you're not supposed to talk about whatever the issue may be. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the blessings that we can give the church in general is to be able to say, you know, maybe we might actually deal with all struggles and all weakness and all sin better. If we actually talked about them more, as opposed to having like this facade that everybody wears of perfection in the church. And that's one of the things that I love so much about the LGBT community is that a lot of the time, what you see is what you get um, because people are tired of living in a closet and having to fake it. That when we realize the freedom of just being ourselves, um, why, why would you want to, not share that with people you know um, yeah and and to those people who say like you know we well you know that's not proper to talk about here well it is now so hello <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah and, and and that's that's largely been my role in ministry has been to show up and say hey 
we're going to bring this conversation in because yeah. we're not having this in the way that it needs to be had for us to actually reach people. Exactly. Exactly. Especially when it's a conversation that's going on in the entire rest of society and the church acts as if it is not happening. We can't lead culture. We can't create culture when we aren't discussing what's going on around us. Um, right. So, yeah. What What do you think are some other blessings that queer people in ministry are able to to bring to churches? I, I mean, I, I think I think there's this sense of honesty. There's this sense of, you know, bring helping the church one of the big things let me start over in that question like one of the big things that i think side b individuals can bring to their churches is to help churches understand that we have to be places that are not family focused so for instance let me give you an example yeah i i started out at a church called trinity family so the offshoot was trinity family midtown well, our mm-hmm. home church closed, and but the, our our church was growing. So, you know, all the resources from the home church came to our church. Long story short, the DS came to me and said, "Hey, you know, I know that there's family in the name of the church, and you were you come from a church that was focused on families, but would you like to change the name?" And everybody that was on staff at that point said, "No." Because we want to talk about how we are a family, whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship, whether you have kids or don't have kids, you know, no matter who you are, we're creating a family here. You know, this is the family of God. So that's why we kept the name Trinity Family. And so we, our our slogan is, you know, you come in as a friend, you leave as family. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a, I I think that's one of the different perspective. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things that side B individuals can bring to ministry is, is, you know, helping the church to understand that we've got to get out of this mold of what a family looks like. Yes. And we've, especially in the church. And so one of the things we do is like when we go in and do like, um, like assessments with churches about how well they're reaching out to the LGBTQ plus community, we, we go, okay, we're not going to talk about we are not going to talk about LGBTQ plus issues first. What we're going to talk about is we're going to survey all the single widowed, you know, single and or widowed people in your congregation. And we're going to ask how much they feel welcome. And oh, wow. almost every single time it comes back at, you know, as, you know, just throwing out a random person, Miss Mary, who's been at the church for 50 years recently widowed and now she feels like she's no longer a part of the church she's just good good to be in the nursery or good to help with the food or whatever but she does she no longer feels apart and it's like until you until everyone who is single at your church feels like they belong at your church you're never going to be able to reach out to the lgbtq plus community in the way that the church needs to reach out to the lgbtq plus community exactly yeah, it, it, it's a good thing to talk with the people that you know are already in your community before you can attempt to reach people in a similar situation who may not be in your community yet. So that makes sense. Um, shifting gears just a little bit. It's been the talk in our circles for the last uh, couple of weeks, but the the Pray Away documentary just came out um, looking specifically at... Um, sort of the rise and fall of Exodus International and affiliated ex-gay 
movement. Um, it's been a lot of discussion about that specifically, and, and the focus of that documentary, for those who may not have been able to see it yet, is really a, a complete and solid condemnation of conversion therapy. Uh, how do you think that as side B Christians, specifically as those who are in ministry, uh, working in churches where often conversion therapy was part of biblical counseling, um, there's a history of this type of, of trauma occurring to people at the hands of their churches. Um, how can side B Christians in ministry best stand against conversion therapy um, as we do our ministry on a daily basis? I think the biggest way is refusing to be silenced. And what I mean by that is, you know, a large part, and I've said this for a long time, even before this documentary came out, but like one of the things that the ex-gay movement was able to do was they were, they were able to raise a lot of money on the fact that they got a lot of people to shut up about their struggles. Yeah. And so, and then they, then they, um, advertise that as oh look we have changed these people have changed these people are no longer gay lesbian bisexual they are now straight and so one of the things that that we can do as side b people is say no 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 you're not going to tell me how i can identify you're i you know that is that's not an option because i know the harm that happens you know, if so, and, and don't get me wrong, if someone doesn't want to identify because they've come to that conclusion, that's completely fine. But for us to mandate these identity mandates that we're beginning to see pop up in denominations, it's going too far, and we're pushing away people. Yeah, who need to know the love of Christ, and it's just it, it's like the thing that we can do as side B Christians is we can say, hey, you know, this is who we like, you know, this is how we experience the world. And no amount of praying has taken that away from us in all of these years, you know? And so we're honest in saying, this is where we're at. And, and if honesty, you know, uh, Sarah has a phrase that she says all the time when she speaks that she goes, uh, I'm in a holiness denomination. And she, she always says, honesty is not a threat to holiness. And if it is, it's not holiness. That's right. I like that. I have that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great one. I wear it when I want to be kind of snarky at church situations. I love it. Um, Yeah. So when you're looking at that idea, we often see just a lack of nuance in that conversation of thinking that it has to be all or nothing in those talks. And so having the opportunity as side B Christians who are in ministry um, often puts us at a unique table to be able to hopefully have the opportunity to share with church and even denominational leaders uh, about what it looks like to be a side B Christian in more conservative denominations. Um, it, do you think that like looking at those opportunities, how, how much pushback have you seen um, within your denomination specifically and with other pastors or ministers uh, of those who are trying right now to help keep that conversation going in a productive way of, of reminding the powers that be that 
that LGBTQ people are not just in the pews, but are in the pulpit. Um, how, how have you received those conversations? How much pushback do you get? And, and how do you continue to keep that conversation uh, in the forefront? So in, our, in, our, in my particular denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, I stand in a great place right now because we have the backing of those that are over us, you know, the leadership of the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great, they're listening. Yeah. Um, the biggest pushback we get are from those that are, um, well, honestly, the biggest pushback we get are from those who are associated with our denomination, but are not a part of our denomination. If that, that doesn't make any sense, but uh, hopefully it comes across and you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so social media is just a, you know, dumpster fire at times, <laughs> but largely, I have noticed that when I can talk to people one-on-one, I can help them. I mean, there, there are many that I have talked to that I cannot, you know, we end the conversation just as far apart as we started the conversation. But uh, for, for the large part, I've noticed that if I can talk to people one-on-one and individually as much as I can, that I am able to, they, they walk away from that conversation understanding and being more receptive to the work that we do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we've gotten pushback. That's, you know, any Nazarene who would be currently listening it, is laughing because they know that we've gotten very public pushback. And what we've had to do over and over and over again is, first thing is, and I think this is one of, the only way we were able to win over the leadership of the denomination was by showing, you know, that we are in line with what the denomination believes. We're not trying to change what the denomination believes. We are trying to help the churches in Nazarene become more loving. Right. And, and uh, live out those beliefs in a increasingly more loving way. So. Yeah. Often it seems like the struggle is helping people recognize that it's not a shift in theology. It's a shift in, in behavior and in attitude and in heart. Like the, the problem isn't the head knowledge. The problem is, is how we interact with people. Um, and sometimes that can actually be the more challenging thing to change. People are like, well, look at all of our beliefs. All these things line up. I'm like, yes, but you still are not a welcoming, encouraging. We just, we don't look like Jesus enough yet to this particular population of people. Um, and right. that can be, that can be a hard place to, from which to do ministry. It's just, it's, it can be exhausting sometimes. Um, what, what are some people, ways? Yeah, go ahead. Especially when people are so determined to use language that is old and use, you know, because they yes. feel like it's more faithful to the scriptures and it's like, no, you know, throughout the years, you know, our language has evolved. Like we, we don't exactly. have to use antiquated terms to get the message across. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes that actually just slows up the message or stops it completely. Right. It's a good point. A good point to remember when you're talking about um, just ministry in general as well, finding that contextualization and how you communicate with people. Um, you can be saying what you think you're saying all day long, but if the person you're communicating with isn't hearing it, you're wasting your time. And so knowing that what you're saying is being heard 
and interpreted the way you intend for it to be heard and interpreted is a lot of work. And sometimes I'm not always sure that people are willing to put that work in um, in order to, to reach a different context of people. Exactly. Um, what are some things when you look at church specifically for um, queer ministers, what, what are some ways that churches can show visible active support for LGBTQ people who are in ministry? By listening and by giving the space for others to listen. Um, yeah. One of the things that I've noticed consistently throughout my ministry is that before I am given the opportunity to speak, I have to prove my worth to be able to speak. Mm. Whereas other pastors do not have to go through that level of, um, through that, through that process of having to, you know, prove that they are worthy to be listened to. Right. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that I think the church could do is by giving space to listen, you know, providing those spaces and those opportunities. I mean, like for us, um, we've had to create those spaces. Like we've had to create spaces where people come and listen. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that was one of the original purposes um, with Revoice, for example, was not to be some massive culture changing or, or church takeover organization or all the things we've heard over the years, but just to right. make a space for those conversations to even take place. Um, sometimes even that work can be difficult. Um, we've talked a lot about things being difficult and... I've caught myself saying exhausting and being icebreaker ships and talking about just the effort. Um, ministry in and of itself is hard. Um, being an LGBTQ Christian in ministry in a more conservative denomination can oftentimes be overwhelming. So what, um, what do you do for yourself? What suggestions do you give to other people who are in ministry um, for self-care to prevent that burnout that sometimes can feel as if it's a, just an inevitable part of ministry? How do you how do you take care of yourself so that burnout doesn't have to be part of your ministry story? One of the lessons that I've learned the hard way, once again, is that number one, you have to see yourself, you know, for all the people in the church who say that I put too much of my identity in being LGBTQ+, my counselor said, no, the problem is is that all of your identity is wrapped up in ministry. Yeah. And I found that comical at first, but after thinking about it, I was like, no, she's right. Like, she is right. Like, especially those of us that are side B in ministry – Sometimes we can step back and go, this is who I am yeah, and not what I do for the kingdom of God. And realizing that at the end of the day, it's God's ministry, not yours. Yes. You're just the pencil God is using at the current moment. And you have to, st- you know, you have to be able to put into your schedule times to step away, times to refresh, times to, you know, to just 
B. Uh, one of the, you know, so Sarah and I, and sometimes just I will, will, you know, take a few days off and just go to some random location and go on vacation somewhere and do something that, you know, is not related to ministry in any sort of way. Yeah. Uh, it's oftentimes in those moments where you see God the most is when you're, when you stepped away. Yes, that it's, it can be so easy to get into the, the function and the structure and just the machine of ministry um, that we can forget about ministry to our own hearts. Um, I know when I used to teach Bible uh, in a high school, there were times that I could tell that I wasn't taking care of myself spiritually, that I would just be conscious of the fact that like the only time that I was in the word was doing lesson plans or preparing for a lecture. And like, Mm -hmm. that was my time in scripture and just remembering that, that academic type of preparing that yes, the Holy spirit moves in that, but it's still work and that I wasn't necessarily feeding my soul with it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, of just being aware of, of things like that, of making sure that, that you have time to step away of being the minister and allowing yourself to be ministered to, uh, even if that's just in your own daily quiet time or, um, just in, in small situations. Um, well, and I think when know, you're in ministry so often you can, you can, um, forget the, like not forget, yeah. but the, you know, they, they, they fall out of importance. Yeah. Do you, do you have a, like a, an intentional, um, like schedule or like, I, I have pastor friends that talk about having a rhythm of work and rest. That like they they know they've carved it out ahead of time. Is that something that you've been able to do, or does that kind of work with your personality style, or is it just you can take what you can get when when you can get it? After twelve years of ministry, I am still trying to figure out that proper balance. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I would love to say that I have this perfect little work life balance, but that's just not the case. Sometimes work <laughs> just takes over. Sometimes you know, life takes over. So. Yeah. I'm always jealous of people that say that they have that such a structured form of Sabbath. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's like a mix between being jealous and like being cynical of it. But I, I love that, that we all kind of have the opportunity. I think that like, that's a lot of what Jesus means when he says that Sabbath was made for man and man, not for Sabbath is that it, it looks different. Like self care is self here. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's going to be based on the individual and it's great to be able to look at other people's lives and to kind of see how, how they find that balance or how they try to find that balance. Um, but remembering that, that the Lord meets each of us individually, um, is, is an interesting part of the journey. Well, what, what sort of advice would you have aside from that, that concept of of self-care and trying to avoid burnout. If you were talking with a youth or a young adult who's like discerning a call to ministry, especially uh, for those of us who did grow up in, in conservative denominations um, where the possibility of that right now may seem questionable. um, How, how would you encourage and, 
and disciple someone who is looking at discerning a call to ministry, who is also beginning to recognize um, their own journey with their sexual identity? So I think to them I say, now that I think I know, to them I say, first of all, this is going to be a very long and very difficult journey, but it mm. is a journey worth taking. Yeah. Um, be honest with yourself and with others around you. And understand at the end of the day, this is God's ministry, not your ministry. So often, especially when we find ourselves leading new ministries, the ministry can so often become about us and what we're doing and how, you know, and it can sometimes become one of those like personality cults. Yeah. And we have to step away and we have to remember that this is God's at the end of the day. And God will... Even, even if the church swoops in and takes the ministry away from you, God still has a plan for you and God is still at work and God hasn't forgotten you or left, you know, or, or forgotten mm. about you. But God's no yeah. longer, even though he's no longer able to use you in that specific role, there is a plan. It's not all over. Yeah. God is still at work. Um, and where we get into problems is if we have wrapped up our identity too much in what we do, that we're unable to see that future. Uh, because we go, well, this is the thing that has made me who I am for so long. That's one of the things yeah. that gets me through my biggest critics is like sometimes, you know, you feel like, okay, this is the end because this particular critic has you know, come out against us and it, you know, there's a whole lot of social media firestorm or whatever. And in those moments, I have to remind myself that, wait, hold on. This is not about, you know, this is, this is not about me. Yeah. I'm just the representative right now in this particular role on behalf of God. Yeah. Did you have anybody in your life, um, like in ministry ahead of you that, that served as a mentor in your life that knew um, about your sexuality or is that something that, that you kind of dealt no. with in a different way? No, that was something I had to deal with on my own. Yeah. I'm so glad that, that people that are coming up behind us, I hope will not have to, to do that. Cause that was, I was in a very similar situation that, you know, I, I strongly felt this, call to ministry as a, you know, 17 year old kid. Um, so that at the same time as I was trying to figure out ministry and what that could possibly look like, I was also starting to, to recognize sexuality, um, my sexuality and my identity, uh, my orientation with that, um, did not line up with, with most of the, the girls that were my age. And so I had like all these, these extra kind of strikes against me of, I answered a call to ministry, but I was a woman in the Southern Baptist convention. So that was already going to make ministry look different. And I'm, I might be gay. I, I'm attracted to women, but I think I might like guys. I don't know what that looks like in the late nineties, you know, like all these other things. And then trying to discern what ministry could possibly look like on top of all of that stuff. Um, I think the one thing that I would tell students today who are, and I mean, even adults that you're looking at potentially going into ministry 
is to hold your idea of what ministry looks like very loosely. Yes. Um, I, I think that I had an idea of what ministry looked like that was so different from how the Lord is actually using me today. I mean, when I, when I answered a call to ministry, I had a picture of doing sports based missions ministry because I was big into basketball and volleyball and I was doing overseas mission trips. And so like in my mind at the time, it was, I'm just going to do summer camps for the rest of my life and I'm going to play basketball for Jesus. You know, <laughs> like that was what I knew. And so that's what I thought that ministry was going to be. And so things felt like failure after failure after failure when doors began to close on ministries like that. Um, and really what it was, was a narrowing down and the Lord pointing me in a direction of how he wanted me to do ministry and how I needed to prepare for that ministry. Um, and, and that was something that I wasn't prepared for from when I answered that call. So like knowing how to, to have a, a, an image and a vision of what ministry looks like, but also allowing yourself to be open to how the Lord might possibly put you someplace that you can't even imagine at that time and just being willing to, to be led in those directions. Mm -hmm. Did you think when you started ministry that you would be a church planter? Oh, absolutely not. In fact, there's a, there's a story we tell all the time about they sent in a person from a church planning organization to try to encourage us to plant a church. And all of the pastors that were in the car, we went around before we walked into that Applebee's and made sure everybody had to say no out loud because we knew they were about to tell us, <laughs> ask us to plant a church. And we came out like 30 minutes later or an hour later and we had said yes. And we all of sort of course. looked at each other like, oh, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> it's always, always fun to see how, how God ends up moving in people's lives. Well, Anderson, do you have anything else, any last words of wisdom or things that you'd like to share with the audience about um, queer life in ministry? Uh, no, I mean, hopefully what I've said is helpful to somebody out there. And, um, you know, I'm a little scatterbrained today, but um, <laughs> thank you, ADHD. That's but right. Overall, there, you know, I want to get across to people too that yes, this is difficult work, especially being a side B pastor in ministry. It is difficult work, but it is very, very, very rewarding. And yes. it's rewarding when you see the relationships restored between parents and their kids. It's rewarding when people find a place to belong that haven't been able to find a place to belong. It's yeah. rewarding when you finally see the person who has been the most opposed to any of the work, get it and understand it. And, the joys greatly outweigh the struggles. Mm. Um, and I know that can sound very like cliche, but like it's true. The joys yeah. outweigh the struggles. Yeah. And that, that's always a good thing to, to keep in mind, you know, that if you can imagine yourself doing something else, you might want to go do that thing. But when, <laughs> when you know that you are so undeniably called to a work that you can't imagine doing anything else, um, just make sure that you are, are protecting that call and protecting yourself, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically taking care of yourself that you can continue to, 
to answer that call year after year to be aware if that call does change. Um, but just walking in community to be able to have that support. Um, and it's one yes. of the great things that I love about side B community with, with posture shift and with revoice and equip and all these other ministries that the Lord is beginning to raise up in America specifically. Um, and looking at overseas work as well, that, that community of, LGBTQ people who are in ministry is growing and we have an opportunity to be able to support one another and to share those stories and to be able to do those things. So I would encourage listeners that if you are considering, if you're discerning a call to ministry, if you have people, uh, maybe you're in ministry and you have people that are in your churches or in your parachurch organizations that are themselves discerning a call to ministry and you, you don't necessarily know um, how to help to, to reach out to here on the podcast with Life on Side B. We could get you connected with people, but um, don't be afraid to use the community that, that the Lord is building up around us um, to be able to walk through that journey. Um, if, exactly. if you feel isolated and alone in the work that you're doing, please know that... Um, that there are those of us around who would love to be able to, to walk that with you so that you're not having to do that alone. Well, Anderson, I thank you for joining us. I love getting the chance to talk about ministry specifically and LGBTQ ministry um, specifically within the church. So I appreciate you joining us and talking about it. And, and it was an encouragement to me to hear how things are going for you and Sarah uh, with your ministry. And we just... We'll pray blessings on it as y'all continue to do the good work with the Church of the Nazarene. Thank you. Thank you. See you all soon at Revoice. Well, that is it for today. Hope you all enjoyed this episode with Becca and Anderson. Uh, If you did, share it with a friend. Uh, Give us a review, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you love Life on Side B and want to get more, become a patron. We have multiple different tiers of being a patron over there with different benefits. So we would love for you to join our patron community. Thank you, everyone. While we are getting close to the end of our season for this year and getting ready for our season finale. So if you are going to be at Revoice, um, it will be an unofficial live episode that we're just gonna put together some um mics somewhere so we'll have more information on that as we get closer we hope you can join us there we hope you have a good week and we will talk to you next time in the next episode bye everyone